everybody. I hope you're doing well, and I hope you are having an amazing, amazing summer. I want to say hi to everybody that's in the congregation right now, and also hi to those who are watching online. We love you, and we are really glad that you have chosen to have our family as part of your family today. This week, on the 4th of July, we celebrated the freedom that we have as Americans. Uh, a group of people on July the 4th, 1776, they made a declaration that we were all free. Uh, but it wasn't until years of fighting that that freedom actually became a reality. On New Year's Day in 1863, a proclamation was issued that said all the slaves in the Confederate States were now free. That issue became known as the Emancipation Proclamation, which led and resulted in the 13th Amendment on December the 18th, 1865. But for some reason, many, many slaves never became free. There were a lot of different reasons why they didn't experience freedom. For some, they preferred the security of slavery to the risk of freedom. For others, even though they were free from the plantation, they still were slaves in their mind. They thought like slaves. They acted like slaves. And for many others, especially in the West, they didn't hear about the, the Emancipation Proclamation or the passing of the 13th Amendment until months or sometimes even years after the event took place. How sad it is to be free and not be able to experience it or even know it. But that's also how many Christians live. They're free, but they don't live as if they're free. Jesus came to set us free. The Bible says in John 8:36, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And one of the, the huge ministries of the Holy Spirit is to, to help us experience the freedom that Jesus purchased for us. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But again, unfortunately, a lot of Christians don't live as if they're free. Some because they, they really don't know that. They don't know that, that Jesus purchased that freedom and the Holy Spirit lives to, to help us experience that freedom as well. Others of them, they, they, may, they may be free, but they still think like slaves. They still act like slaves. And for still others, that uh, they choose to stay in, in prison because that's more familiar to them than, than freedom. There are some things we need to know about freedom. First and foremost is that God, absolutely, His desire for our life is, is freedom. You can't read the Bible without realizing that God wants His people free. In fact, there's a whole book in the Bible, the book of Exodus, that, that his people were in, in bondage and he constantly was doing whatever it took to set his people free. Eight times in ten verses, he told Pharaoh, let my people go. God is about setting his people free. Jesus, when he came here, this is what he declared about himself. He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recover of sight for the blind to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. God's desire for every single one of us is that we live in freedom. The second point is true freedom can only be found in Jesus Christ. Jesus says it's if the Son sets you free, then and only then you're free. I mean, what's implied there? Jesus is saying that he's the only one that can truly set us free, and he's saying if, if we don't know him, we're never going to know true freedom. In fact, understand this, we can live in a free country like the amazing country that we live in right now and still not be free. You know people that live in bondage, I know the people that live in bondage even though we live in a, in a free country. Another thing is we can be retired, we can be independently wealthy 
and still not be free, right? We can be single and have no family obligations, no, no child, no spouse, no anything like that. We can seemingly do whatever we want to do and not be free at all. We will only find true freedom in Jesus Christ. And Jesus has done everything he can to set us free. The third point is true freedom comes from obedience. Listen to these words of Jesus. He said, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if, big if, you hold to my teaching, then you're really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. True freedom doesn't come from believing anything we want to believe or doing everything we want to do. In fact, there's many of us hearing my voice right now that we've tried that. We've tried to believe anything. Or we've tried doing anything. We found anything but freedom. We found ourselves slaves to all sorts of things. One thing that every believer in our culture understands is there are often times that the words of Jesus in our culture, they smack against each other. They are diametrically opposed to one another. And we as Christians, we're compelled to make a decision. We either have to decide that we're going to believe the Word of God or we're going to believe what our culture says. And Jesus Christ is saying here that one leads to bondage and the other leads to freedom. True freedom comes from submitting ourselves to God and His Word. I want you to think about a kite for a moment. If a kite isn't attached to the string in the hand of the master, it doesn't become free as you'd suppose it would. If it was able to cut the line, it doesn't go off and be set free. In fact, instead, it quickly crashes and burns, doesn't it? But when it's attached to the hand of the master, then it can do some incredible things, and then it can live truly free. Likewise, if we try to live apart from God and His Word, we're not going to find freedom. We're going to be like that kite. We're going we're gonna to hit the ground hard. And something, too, is, is uh, when... But if we put ourselves in the hands of the master... We're going to find freedom. We're going to become everything we were meant to be. We're going to, we're going to become what we were created to become. And that's the next thing. True freedom is found in doing what we were created to do. Imagine a guitar string just sitting by itself here on the, on the stage. You would think that that's free, but it's really not free. It's just, it's just kind of there. When it, a guitar string becomes free is when it's attached the, to the guitar, and then it can become everything it was made to, to be, and it can make beautiful music in the hands of the master. If you want to see a free bird, watch it soar. If you want to see a free fish, watch it swim. And in the same way, if you want to see a free human, Watch them live in the center of God's will and the calling that God has for their life. Let's talk about what freedom is not. Freedom is not doing whatever we want to do. There was a, a kid in one of my youth groups that, uh, there was a, he's a good kid, a really good kid, but I remember him coming in one time just frustrated, and he said, I'm tired, I'm so tired of, of people telling me what to do. I, my parents tell me what to do, my teachers tell me what to do, my coaches tell me what to do, and I said, well, so what are you going to do about it? And he said, I'm going to join the army. I said, oh, that's great, that's a, a real good thought, nobody will ever tell you what to do there. Freedom doesn't mean that there aren't any rules. You think about uh, any sport, every sport has, has rules and boundaries. There's places you can go and there's places you can't go. There's things that you can do and there's things that you can't do. Without those restrictions, those, those small restrictions, you wouldn't have freedom, you'd have chaos. You'd have, the, the game would be ruined, it wouldn't be any fun. But if a player plays within those rules and within those boundaries, it doesn't mean they're really restricted. They can do incredibly free things and incredibly wonderful and creative things. 
Jesus really narrowed all the rules of God down into two. He said, love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love people like you love yourself. And that's incredibly freedom, isn't it? If we just do those two things, God says, there's so much creativity we can do, and all the other things will just take care as a matter of the course. Freedom doesn't mean we're free to do anything that we want to do, whether it hurts ourselves or hurts other people or hurts God or anything. That's, that's license. What freedom is, is we are free to, to do everything God created us to do and be everything God created us to be. Now, if a fish were to say, you know what, I'm tired of being in the water. I just want to, you know, I'm tired of that. I want to hang out. I want to hang out with the giraffes, man. I want to hang out. I want to run through the through the the wilderness with the with wolves, and I want to I want to play with the lions and leopards and everything like that. So if we took that that fish and we put it in a, a savanna on the uh, on the African plains, if we put it in the Serengeti or something like that, uh, would that bless the fish or would that lead to its demise? Uh, that wasn't that would destroy the fish because it wasn't created to do that. Freedom for the fish is doing everything it can do in the water because God created it to live in the water. When we find freedom, it's doing everything God created us to do and be everything God created us to be. True freedom isn't based on our outward circumstances either. I've met people in prison who are far more free than the people on the outside of the bars. And you and I have both met people that that were free even though they were in the midst of horrible situations in their life. And we've met, also met people who were in great situations in their life. They had it made and yet were in complete bondage. How is that possible? Because freedom is more of an inward reality than it is an outward situation. Let's go back to the verse that we read before. Now the sp- Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Think about what that's saying. That's saying wherever the Spirit is, there's going to be freedom. And where does the Spirit live if we're believers? That means that inside of us, right? So that means that we can have freedom even in the midst of of horrible life situations, in the midst of a stinky job, in the midst of a rough marriage, in the midst of, of horrible situations in our life. We can experience true freedom because the Spirit of God abides in us. Freedom also isn't having our chains polished. And what I mean by that is Jesus didn't come to make us feel good in our bondages. He came to set us free from our bondages. An example of that would be the woman caught in the act of adultery. Remember, Jesus didn't say to her, you know what, do whatever you want, and you know, if, that's, if that's what gets you kicks, then, then go ahead and do that. He said some strong words to her. He said, he said, go and sin no more. But at the same time, he expresses his love for her. Because what he's really saying is, I love you so much, I care about getting you out of the bondage that you're in. You're in a destructive lifestyle that's hurting you, that's hurting other people, and I want you out of that. I love you enough to say something to get you out of that. Not once, not once did Jesus ever condone a sin that was spoken against in God's Word. And he wasn't doing that with her. Why? Because he knew that that God's Word would set her free and anything else would keep her in bondage. And I don't think I have to explain and connect the dots with how that applies to our culture and us today. What does the Holy Spirit want to set us free from? This week and next week, we're going to be talking about some of those, several of those things, and and we're going to be just barely touching it. I could preach a whole series on every single one of these. We're just going to be going over them at about 60 miles an hour. The first thing that the Holy Spirit wants to set us free from is fear. 
We're going to be doing a whole message on that in just a couple of weeks. But, but here's the thing, that so much of the time we worry about what, what could happen, what might happen. We, we're fearful about that, that we don't enjoy what's happening right now in our, in our life. Think about it. Fear kept the, the children of Israel from going into the promised land. And fear can keep us from, from entering the promised land that God has for us as well. The Bible says this, For God has not given us, don't miss this, a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. In other words, not only is there a spirit that leads to fear, but there's also a spirit that God brings into our life, the Holy Spirit, that can, that can make the other spirit null and void. Another thing the Holy Spirit wants to give us freedom in is freedom from our past. There's a lot of people who, who are so bound by their past that they can't live and experience uh, all that God has for them for today. You know, we can really be bound by our, our past in two ways. One, from negative experiences in our past. That some of the things that we've done, uh, some of the stupid decisions we've made and things like that, or sometimes it's because of the stupid decisions other people have made or the things that they've done to us. Maybe it's just a, a trauma that happened in our childhood or an event that happened in our life that, that had a profound effect that kept us in the past, that has us anchored in that past. If that's you, God has a wonderful verse for you. It's Isaiah 43 that says this. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you even perceive it? In other words, this, God has a wonderful plan and a wonderful future for you, has a wonderful present for you, but you're not going to be able to enjoy it if you keep looking behind you. It's like driving, and if you spend the whole time looking in a rearview mirror, you're not going to be able to drive and see the beauty that's in front of you. And there's a lot of people in this world that, that live life looking through the rearview mirror. Other people are bound by the good things that happen in their past. We should treasure the, the, the wonderful things that, that God has given us and things that hap, have happened to us in the past. In fact, Mary, the mother of Jesus, uh, the Bible says, treasured the, the amazing things about Jesus in her heart. And God was constantly asking his people, or telling his people, uh, reminding them of the wonderful things that he's done for them in the past. But notice this, it wasn't to keep them living in the past, it was to give them, to give them faith for the moment and hope for the future. Some people are captivated by the good old days, the days before the breakup, the days when the marriage was going great, the days when the family was together, the days when you had the job, the days before you had to move, the days, whatever it was. And Solomon says this about that. He says in Ecclesiastes 7.10, do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. So whether you dwell on the past because it was good or whether you dwell on the past because it was bad, Paul has some words for us and he says this, some advice in Philippians 3. But one thing I do, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. We can't grab hold of the prize that God has for us in the present and the, and the future until we let go of some of the things in our past, good, bad, or indifferent. Another thing that God wants to free us from is freedom from materialism. Can we just admit that we live in a really, really materialistic society? And that probably just about every one of us, we struggle with it to, from one, to one degree or another. We live in a culture that bombards us daily with advertisements, with suggestions, with thoughts.
thoughts that say we shouldn't be content with what we have. We should need this thing or this thing or this thing. We won't be happy until we really grab hold of that. You know, when I've taken youth on, on mission trips, it seems, like, uh, it seems like just about everyone are overwhelmed with, with this thought. They see these people that have very little, very little, uh, sometimes almost nothing, and they go, it's amazing that they have nothing, and yet they seem to be so happy, and we have everything, and yet we're discontent. And it's true. In a, a, a poll that was taken a, a, a while back, it said, here's the question, how much salary would be enough for you to be content? The people that made $25,000, they said they would be happy, they would be content if they made $54,000. The people that made $50,000, they said $96,000 would make us happy, then we'd be content with what we have. The people that made $100,000 said $198,000, the average would say, that would, be, that would make me happy, I'd be content with that, I'd be fine with that. And the people that made $3 million a year said they would be happy and content if they made $5 million a year. In other words, we're never content with what we have. It's always out there. It's always somewhere else. And we live in a materialistic society, and it's gotten into our soul. It's gotten into our heart, and we need to be set free from that. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, Whoever loves money never has enough money. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep our lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, this is often misquoted verse, for the love of money is a root of all kind of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. G.K. Chesterton said this, there are two ways to get enough. One is to accumulate more and more and the other is to desire less. There's not really a, a problem if we have things. We just need to make sure that those things don't have us and we're content with what we have right now. He also wants us to be free from our infirmities. And there's a lot of different types of infirmities, aren't there? There are emotional infirmities, there's physical infirmities, there's mental infirmities. And Jesus reflects the heart of the Father when he was on this earth. And think about how much time he spent healing sick and broken people in every form. I mean, it's been said that Jesus spent two-thirds of his time in the Gospels. He was either heading to, to heal somebody, he was healing somebody, or coming back from healing or setting somebody free. Let's look at just one of Jesus' healing miracles. It's found in Luke chapter 13. And it says this, Indignant, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, There are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. Wow, does this show us the power of legalism, which is another thing God wants us free from. Because here's, here's Jesus doing some amazing things and healing people. And, and instead of rejoicing like all the other people, the, the people that are bound in legalism are whipping out their calendars, seeing what day it is. So here's he goes on. It says, the Lord answered him, but you hypocrites, don't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead them out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, don't miss this, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath from that which bound her? Jesus doesn't attribute all physical illness or emotional issues or anything like that to, to demonic activity by any means, but he does do some. And we need to realize that, that according to Jesus, there are people who are bound by infirmity due to demonic activity in their life, and they can be set free with prayer. God also wants to free us from prejudice. Can we just admit that we all have them? 
And I'm not saying we're all racist, but we all prejudge people. We judge people by how they look. We judge people by what they wear. We judge people by where they live. We judge people by so many different things, by the color of their skin, by their gender, by, by their age, by everything. We prejudge people so much in our society. I remember one time when God showed this to me, when uh, I was going on my second mission trip, and I found out where we would be going, and there was part of me that said, I don't want to go there. And I was like, what is that about God? What in the world? There was a red flag going in my heart. And I'm saying, what is this about God? And he pointed out to a time when I was a, a young man in my, in my early teens. And uh, some friends and I were playing basketball. And a, a people of a group of, of this ethnic group gathered around us on the sides. And they're doing this. And scared the daylights out of me because it was a whole gang. And I thought we were going down that day. And I, it, it did something to me. And that's something that we have to realize is most prejudice, we're not born with prejudice. It's not something that God gives us. We are taught prejudice either by it is taught by somebody else, it is modeled to us by somebody else, or that it is something that because of a life experience, a negative life experience that we have. I went on that mission trip, and not only did I make it through, I fell in love with that people group. Absolutely fell in love, and many, many, many more times ministered to, uh, to them and have an absolute special place in my heart. God can change our prejudice into something absolutely wonderful. And there's people who say this. There's people who say that they are colorblind. I'm colorblind. That's not true. None of us are colorblind. We see color. We see gender. We see age. We see what people are wearing. That's not the problem. The first, the first thought that we have about somebody isn't the problem. We can't, we can't dictate that. That's just, that's just our natural uh, reaction to, to something. But here's the, the good news. It's not the first thought that we have about the person that matters as much as the second thought. And our second thought, it can be good, can't it? I mean, we see somebody of a, of, of a race, we can see the color, we can see the gender and go, man, that's cool, love that. Or we can have a negative reaction to the per what the person is wearing. Maybe they're covered with, with tats or maybe they're not wearing tats and clean, clean cut or maybe we find out who they voted for or something like that. And we have a negative feeling, a negative impression about that. Then, then it should be a red flag to us and, so, and say, God, why do I have this? And please heal this situation. Please heal this in my heart. And here's, here's my new prayer. God, let my second thought about everybody be your thought about them. Let me see that person the way you see them. Let me see them through your eyes. And here's something really cool is, is if, as we start having second thoughts and let God minister to us about the second thoughts, he can change our first thoughts about those people as well. The poster child for this is Peter. Peter was like most Jews who from the time he was a little boy, he was told to not associate with Gentiles, that Gentiles were in fear that God really didn't like them uh, very much. And he'd been taught to not associate with them, not eat with them, not talk with them, anything. And then in, in Acts chapter 10, we have this beautiful story of, of Peter having three visions from God. And, and God's basically saying in those visions, stop looking down on people that I, I'm not looking down on. And then uh, Peter uh, is, is told by God to, to go and preach to these Gentiles. And, and in, in mid-sermon, the Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles just like he falls, fell on the, the Jews on the day of Pentecost. And you can imagine Peter's surprise when God is saying, I love these people just like I love you. I care about them just like I care about you. And to his incredible credit, for the rest of his life, Peter was one of the, the Gentiles' biggest advocates. Peter changed his whole outlook on the Gentiles, and he allowed the Holy Spirit to free him from the prejudices that, that he had. 
and he became one of their biggest advocates from that moment on. The good news is the Holy Spirit can can also free us from our prejudice, just like he did with Peter. God's will for our life is freedom. Those whom the Son set free are free indeed. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So as children of God, we can say with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we're free at last.